Uh, if you have a Bible, turn with us to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. Scott, Liliana, and Michael just got back from three weeks in Guatemala, where Liliana is from, uh, visiting her family. And so Scott's not going to make it today for teaching, but uh, they they got back safely a couple of days ago, and uh, they are doing well. If you're wondering where Scott has been the last few weeks, i got to find Daniel. That's going to be half my problem right here. I'm getting close. In the old North Pastor, you you hopefully know. (laughs) I would hope I can get there at some point. Okay. Daniel chapter... 10. Before we uh, open in prayer, and uh, can we just be thankful for box fans today? Are we, are we, are we glad for the box fan? Uh, a wonderful invention for moments like this, uh, as the AC is not working so well up here. But um, this is the last section of Daniel. So 10, 11, and 12 go together, and this is really the introduction to the last vision that Daniel is going to get. So we're used to a lot of visions in this book. Well, there's one last final vision that's going to really dominate chapters 11 and 12, and this is the setup to the final vision in the book of Daniel. So, um, how about this? Papa Fred, can you open us in prayer? I'd love to. And then we'll read the first uh, portion of the chapter. We'll work through it in pieces. Um, Before I pray, I think this is important for the next three chapters. Uh, This is a statement in in the beginning of the chapter 10 on the in the ESV study Bible. Conflicts on earth reflect conflicts in the heavens, and this will continue to the end when God ultimately triumphs. And uh, there's a cool quote I want to read from Abraham Kuyper. Abraham Kuyper was prime minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905, a strong Calvinist, uh, lived from 1837 to 1920, and was a very uh, much a man of God. And this was his observation on Daniel. If once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem, by comparison, a mere game. Not here, but up there. That is where the real conflict is raged is waged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. Father God, um, my eyes have been opened. Um, I'm familiar with Ephesians 6 and the spiritual warfare and, and the existence of angels and demons uh, in our world. Uh, but I think my eyes have really been opened since we've been in Daniel to this massive conflict, particularly beginning in this chapter, uh, that takes place in the heavenlies. Um, Lord, as we strive to understand that, uh, it helps me understand uh, why we have so much chaos and battle and conflict in this world. Because that's already waging between the forces of good and the forces of evil in the highest heavens. And this has been so since the fall, since Genesis 3. And Father, help us to understand that. Help us to uh, be faithful and true to the text. And we need your spirit to guide us this afternoon. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. 
Well, Greg, can you uh, open us up and just read maybe the first uh, 10 verses or maybe the first nine verses of the chapter? Yeah, I'd be happy to. All right, Daniel chapter 10, beginning in verse number one. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Okay, if you're like me, when you first read through this, it's hard to get your bearings as to where are we and what's happening. Why is Daniel fasting and seemingly very upset for three weeks? What's going on? Let's just look more carefully at the beginning of the chapter. So verse one again, in the third year of who? Cyrus, right? Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel. Now, third year, this is another word. Cyrus has just taken over, and Cyrus has just now issued that decree a couple years ago to send the people back. He could send the Israelites back home to begin rebuilding the temple and the city of Jerusalem. And Daniel here is still in Babylon at this point, and he is mourning for three weeks. And these are also the first three weeks of the year. It's, it's the same time as Passover and uh, the Feast of, uh, help me, the, the Feast of Unleavened, Unleavened Bread. Bread. Yeah. And so it's the seven-day Feast of Passover that comes. He, he is fasting, not from all food, but from delicacies and wine for the whole time of the three weeks. And he doesn't anoint himself. He doesn't, he doesn't do some of the things that you would normally do. And why? What, what is going on? What's bothering Daniel during this time? And there's probably a mixture of things. But one of them is likely the fact that the people are supposed to be so excited to be going back to rebuild. And yet, is it the majority who have gone back? No, it's a very small minority of the Jewish people have actually left Babylon and gone back to their hometown. And um, that may signal that there's a lot of people feeling very at home in Babylon. So, I mean, think about this. A lot of people were born in Babylon, right? Because they were there for 70 years. So they're born in Babylon. They grew up and got married to Jewish people in Babylon. They had children and maybe even grandchildren in Babylon. That's all they've known for some of these people. Their whole life is Babylon. So when God makes a way for them to go back home and do what they're supposed to do, the vast majority of them say, actually, I'm pretty comfortable right here. I don't really want to be part of this rebuilding project. It looks really hard to go back to a city that's broken down and try to build from scratch. I'd rather just stay in my comfortable house in Babylon. So that, that may be part of what's going on here. And it, it seems as though Daniel himself stays in Babylon. You may say, wait a second. Is that like a double standard? Why hasn't Daniel himself, why hasn't he gone back? Well, we're not sure. He's in his mid-80s, 
also, he may not be the best guy to be in the building project stage of getting all the things back together. He, the Lord may still have a job for him in Babylon where he stays and he prays for the people as they return. But it seems like at least part of what's going on is the lack of passion of the people to go back and rebuild. What else do y'all think is, is going on in Daniel's mind here? Well, I think it, a lot of it is related to what's going on in Jerusalem, because Daniel would certainly be informed about yes. the nature of the rebuilding and, you know, the return from exile. And, you know, it started off with a big bang. Everybody's excited and all of this. And then the, the neighboring nations start to realize, wait a minute, we don't want these Jews to be excited about their God. We don't want them to rebuild their city and rebuild their temple. They were always a thorn in our side. And so I think at this point, pressure has already started to mount against the exile or the returned exiles. And so the building, the restoration has, because there's a period where it stops mm -hmm. and then God sends a couple of prophets and they kind of kickstart it back into gear. Um, I think this is in that period where, you know, the initial excitements kind of wore off. The, the peoples around are starting to realize you know, we don't want them to succeed in this. And so the pressure's there. And so I think Daniel, in his mourning, I mean, he says, I was mourning for three weeks. I think uh, a, a good portion of it is like he's broken over the fact that the rebuilding has stopped. The restoration is, is not proceeding forward. Um, and so, I mean, you think about his, his the, the grip. I mean, we talked about the fact he didn't go home, but the grip that his homeland has still on him like he, for three weeks, he is mourning. He is, you know, denying himself a number of like delicacies and typical things, mourning over the state of his homeland, mourning over Jerusalem, mourning over his people and um, their, their lack of faith, their lack of progress. Um, and so, I mean, you know, we talk about you can't get, you know, you, the people can leave Babylon, but you can't get Babylon out of the people. Well, you can't get Jerusalem out of Daniel. Like mm -hmm. he's kind of the opposite of that. Like his heart is with his people in their homeland. And when things are as bad as they are, he, he grieves deeply. Yeah, two things. Uh, they, these, the Jews took Jeremiah literally. Jeremiah said, when you go into captivity, we want you to build houses, have families, and serve the welfare of the country that you've been taken captive in. And the Jews, uh, this is probably the real beginning of it, uh, the, the diaspora, the dispersion, but they were comfortable there. Mm -hmm. Maybe because it was a pagan land, maybe it's because it's a lot of the younger people just got used to it, but they did literally what Jeremiah asked them to do. Uh, the second point is Calvin pointed out, and I didn't realize this, that within several years, about three years of, um, of the edict that went out from Cyrus, Cyrus went off to fight in Asia Minor with the, with the Scythians, against the Scythians, and his son, the son Cambyses, Cambyses or something like that, was made regent. Well, he stopped the construction. Yep. So that was a contributor. Now, they had some local opposition, mm -hmm. too. But I think the, the, there was also some opposition. Now, later on, they always went back to the Cyrus Decree. Xerxes and Ahasuerus went back to the Cyrus Decree, and, and the city was eventually rebuilt. But there was a stop construction going on. And you, you may at this point be wondering, okay, that's, that's interesting. I'm glad that, that Daniel was concerned about these things. What, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with you know, the next week? Or you know, what does this have to do with anything in my life? And I think the answer is the application would be to say, let, let's, let's compare here. Let's, let's kind of bring the story into our moment right now. 
In the same way that Daniel was deeply grieving the lack of the building and the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem and the worldliness, really the Babylonian worldliness of the people of Israel, that's what's grieving him. He's fasting for weeks. He's praying continuously through these chapters. For us, I mean, sincerely, how often are we emotionally affected by immaturity in both ourselves and in other people that we know. Uh, how often do we see the worldliness in ourselves and in Christians that we know, not in a self-righteous way, but how often are we genuinely grieved by saying, listen, Lord, help us to be further along. Help us to grow. Help us to be, you know, think of the building of the city as like the, the spiritual growth of the church. Think of it as our, our maturity in Christ. Do we really even, have we ever shed tears over the holiness or lack thereof of people that we genuinely care about? Do we actually go before the throne of grace and say, Lord, I am in agony that you help this person get free of this struggle that they have and help them to grow in, your, in, in, in their walk with you. I want my, uh, whatever it may be, I want my children to know you. I want my, my friends, my relatives to know you. Are we grieved genuinely, emotionally affected by the spiritual well-being of those around us? Because Daniel is in his mid-80s. He could just say, hey, I'm checked out. I've, I've, I've done my time. I've, I've done my time for the kingdom. I'm just going to go, you know, vacation for the rest of my life. I don't have to worry about what's going on back with Jerusalem. But this guy in his 80s, it, it, late in life, is, his heart is attached to the health of the people of God. He is grieved and emotionally impacted by the health of the people of God. And sincerely, like, does our prayer life, and I'm, I'm talking to myself here, does our prayer life reflect a real sense of the weightiness and care and love for those around us who need more of Christ in their life, who I need more of Christ in my life. Are, are we praying those kinds of prayers? Lord, build up your church like the walls of Jerusalem. Build up your church. Help there to be growth. Help there to be godliness. Uh, help there to be conversions. Are those the kinds of things that burden us? Or is it, frankly, are we Babylonian? We're just kind of into our comfort and entertainment and all the easy, fun things that we have surrounding us, or are we, are we constantly distracted, or are our hearts really involved with what really is significant? Well, I mean, this is uh, what Paul, that, that same kind of mindset in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for, and listen to the language, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I mean, Paul poured himself out, not just for conversions to Christ, but for the maturity of disciples. Um, and I mean, all of the New Testament, the, the letters is dealing with issues in churches because his heart was weighted down with the condition of the people of God. Um, and so Old Testament, New Testament, I think, I think it's right to say, I wouldn't say in a crippling sense, but in a way that we can't escape sense, we should be burdened with the spiritual health of God's people. Um, Daniel, uh, some of the commentators noted that in, in end of chapter 7, end of chapter 8, Daniel was visibly shaken and alarmed by some of the visions that he saw. Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Chapter 7, chapter 8, and I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. And then I arose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled at the vision and did not understand it. There's no similar reaction at the end of chapter 9. Again, chapters and verses were added much later in the Middle Ages. And, and so all these all these visions came one right after another. It could be that he was so overwhelmed 
he, you know, he's told in chapter 9 that you, you guys are going to get to go back home. The, the Israelites are going to get the 70 weeks. Now, he heard all the other um, um, prophecies, but he was focused in that prayer on returning to Jerusalem. And he hasn't really had a chance to react to all this bad news of the 70 weeks, the, the <coughs> conflict that's going to come. And now we move into another vision. And I think, like you said, Mark, I think, uh, and, and Greg, uh, Daniel, number one, was a man of prayer. We know that from the beginning. He was so much a man of prayer that he is, he is an, his prayers are answered. He receives visions. He receives uh, interpretations of dreams. He receives angels showing up, interpreting those dreams. It's incredible. I, you know, if I had an angel show up, I don't, I don't know what I'd do. I'd be on my face, I'm sure. But I, again, I, I, I'm, I'm convicted by my lack of prayer and fervency for my nation, for my God, for my church, for my family, for my friends. Mm. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11 just for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is that famous list of Paul's own sufferings, which he gives to the Corinthians to validate that he's a real apostle. He says he will boast in his weaknesses, not in his strengths. So he gives a list of all of his suffering. And if I'm sure you're familiar with the list, but let's look at part of this here. Second uh, Corinthians 11, look at verse 23. So remember, he's forced to boast about what the Lord has done through him to try to prove that he's a genuine apostle. Second Corinthians 11, 23. Talking about the false apostles, he says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And then he adds this to cap the list off. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me for my anxiety for all the churches. That's amazing. If I had been imprisoned, I can guarantee you that would be the main focus of my sufferings. If I, had, if I had been whipped or beaten with rods or, you know, 39 lashes on five different occasions, that is hard to imagine. And without modern medicine, just think about the recovery the third time that happens to him. And he's thrown on a dirty ground with his back opened up. And, and he has to get, he's going to have fever when he recovers from that. He's going to have infection. That's just the third time. It happens a fourth time, a fifth time. All this stuff, I mean, that would be in a class by itself in my mind if I went through that. And what does Paul add on top of, like, for him, it's like, I think for Paul, probably the biggest struggle he had above all those physical things was the daily pressure on him for the health and well-being of these churches that he planted. Like, he is torn up by the Galatians when they're falling away. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He said, I, you know, am, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth in Galatians 4? You know, I, I'm trying, he says, I am in labor pains until Christ is formed in you again. Like, he's like, I am in pain here until Christ is formed in you. You guys are straying from the truth. I am in agony until Christ is formed in you again. Like, Paul sees beyond his physical suffering the, the pressure of the daily anxiety and burden for the churches. This sounds like Daniel, doesn't it? Daniel says the lion's den is one thing. You know, the Lord brought me through all that. The, the, the fiery furnace with my friends, the Lord's brought us through that. But what really burdens me, or I can't even get out of bed hardly, I'm, I'm fasting for weeks, 
is the lack of the, of the health and the well-being of my people. That, that's, where, that's where his heart was. And, and um, I just think it's, a, it's a, something to test our own heart on. H- how are we doing? How, where are our affections and concerns at regarding those things? We can turn back to Daniel 10. Are we ready to go to the next yeah. section? Greg, can you read for us the next uh, section there? You can. Yeah. So beginning in verse 10. It says, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words." The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Well, this, uh, this part is pretty astonishing. Uh, I, I know I'm, I've mentioned this idea before more than once, but... I think this text is one of the clearest examples of this thought. So just bear with me if you've heard this before. What I love about this particular part of the story is Daniel starts praying on day one of his fast. His fast lasts for three weeks. For the three weeks, there are zero apparent answers to his prayer. Does he stop praying? No. Does he stop fasting? No. Daniel gets nothing back from the Lord. No sign, no angel, no vision, no anything. And he is just torn up about the state of God's people. He's on his face praying daily, fasting daily, not anointing himself with oil. And he goes through day one, no answer. Day two, day six, day 14, day 20, day 21, nothing has happened. Looks like his prayers are doing nothing at all. Suddenly, an angel shows up and says, hey, the day you started praying, the Lord sent me to come to you. And I was a, there was a demonic uh, attack. The prince of Persia withstood me. There's, I think it's a, a, a demon withstood this angel. And he had to get help from Michael. It's like, wow, what do we not know about what is happening in the supernatural world? Like, Daniel, if he was not told, would have no idea that there was a demonic, angelic battle going on in direct result of what? Daniel's prayer. So Daniel starts praying, and a war starts in heaven between angels and demons. Like, do we even think that this is real? Like, this is, this, this act, when we are praying, there is an angelic, demonic warfare that is going on, and our prayers actually make an impact on that. Ask me to fully explain that. I cannot do that. I don't know what all that means, but it's clear that the moment he started praying, angels were dispatched, demons opposed them, and for three weeks, the demons and angels were in a fight of some kind. And it wasn't until the end of three full weeks that the angel makes it to Daniel and says, Daniel, we heard your prayer from the start, and it took me three weeks just of battling to get to you and tell you that. So the, the point here is, man, uh, we need to know that when we feel like the Lord is not hearing our prayers— from the day we started praying, a word went out. That's the comforting thought. From the moment we are praying for something, if it is in accordance with God's will, if we are praying for especially salvation, and we feel like nothing is happening, and we've been doing it for days and weeks and months and literally years, decades for some people, we do not give up hope because we know that the Lord has, is watching. He is aware of our prayers from the moment we started, and we should not give up. Uh, Jesus told a parable to the effect that we might always pray and never lose heart. And remember, he tells the parable of the persistent widow. Remember that? I love that story. There's a widow who's being mistreated by an, uh, by an ungodly judge. 
And she goes to the judge over and over demanding justice for herself. And the judge says, I love how the judge speaks in the parable. He goes, I neither care for this woman, nor do I fear God. (laughs) He's like, I don't care. He's like, but because she is so persistent, she's actually annoying me. She comes to me all the time asking for justice just to get her out of the way. I'm going to finally give her what she wants. And Jesus says, if an unjust judge responds to that kind of importunate prayer, you know, coming over and over. How much more will the father hear the voice of his elect who come to him day and night and ask for justice, who ask for, what, for their needs? The Lord will hear. We may need to be persistent and it may take time, but the Lord is not failing to hear us. The Lord is hearing every prayer. And as Revelation says, he has bowls of incense that are storing up the prayers of the saints And at the very end of history, what happens? Those bowls get turned over and God finally answers that prayer for justice from the saints. I love that in Revelation. For for centuries, the prayer for final justice has been prayed for by martyred saints and by all kinds of faithful believers. God, please bring justice. And it's like these bowls of incense filling up, filling up. Centuries go by and the prayers of Luther are in those bowls and the prayers of Spurgeon are in those bowls and all the nameless Christians of all the centuries are in these bowls and they fill up and they finally reach, there's a little line that God knows when it reaches its full. And when the, when the bowls fill, the Lord turns to the angel and says, now turn over the bowls. And the bowls turn over and the prayers of the saints are poured out. And just imagine a, a, a Christian who prayed for 80 years and never heard the yes. Well, one day the Lord who answers those prayers for justice is going to say yes. But there may be a delay in the response, but one day those prayers are flipped over and the Lord says, I didn't forget one of those. All your tears are in my bottle. All your turnings on your bed, I've kept track of in my book. I know all your prayers and not one of them goes unheard. And I think this is the big uh, encouragement for us to say, let's not give up praying for, for what, what needs to happen, what, need, what needs to be done. You know, we've, we've been introduced to probably the four of the largest empires ever to visit this planet with Babylon, Medo-Persia, uh, Greece, and Rome, uh, and Rome and beyond. And what, what are we told? What was, what was so upsetting to Daniel? That there was going to be conflict. There was going to be war. There was going to be... So this is not, this is not surprising. And, and so uh, all... all we, we've had the veil pulled aside here in tent, and we can see, we have revealed that there's something going on in the heavenly places. Uh, the angel tells Daniel the same. He tells that he's, he's, he's fighting, and, and, and that he had to get Michael to help him. Mm-hmm. And Michael's a formidable archangel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, uh, and, and so uh, th- there's warfare. So I, I think... I happened to be blessed to be at Westminster when Mark uh, spoke the other night for graduation and he talked about the spiritual warfare in chapter 6 of Ephesians. And I think there's so much of that that goes on in, in the heavenly places and, and, and perhaps that's why we haven't gotten an immediate answer to our prayers because the, the evil ones are, are trying to abort our prayers, trying to, trying to discourage us and, and through delay, say Daniel was perhaps delayed, I mean, discouraged because it was, took 21 days. Uh, he was responded to rather promptly in the past for visions and, and also prayers. But now he's had to wait 21 days and the angel informs him of what's going on. And it's, it's, it's kind of it's scary. Um, it's significant what's going on in the heavenly realms. 
Because you think about the vision Daniel has of this messenger, this angelic messenger. Um, the vision alone of seeing this guy was enough to put Daniel down. Um, and then for this, this messenger to say, well, I would have come sooner, but the prince of Persia withstood me 21 days. Um, so there's, there's another being out there as powerful or close to as powerful as this glowing, fiery, lightning-faced, burning torch eyes guy. Um, and so, you know, that is unnerving in and of itself. But I think it, it goes a little deeper into something. And I know we're going to see Ephesians 6 here in a second. But behind pagan empires, godless governments mm. are satanic powers. That's good. Like, we have to understand that. Yes, God stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. He did a good thing. But behind the whole kingdom of Persia was a satanic power, a demonic power. You know, the demons um, joined with Satan in his rebellion against God, and they fell. And so Satan and however many of them, they are, you know, they're angels, but they're fallen angels. They're demons now, demonic. And behind massive world powers are satanic forces. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to, it, it helps to keep that in mind when we get to Ephesians 6, when Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Um, yes, people are responsible and they're the visible face of what we deal with. But behind opposition to God, behind opposition to the gospel, um, behind godless governments, like, I mean, we could say more recently, as Marx mentioned, um, Stalin, Hitler, Mao, um, what happened in Cambodia, like, that's not just of human origin. The, the design and the, the execution of well over a hundred million people through various evil means. We have to see demonic forces at work behind that because Satan hates people. Satan hates humans. Uh, we are made in God's image. He made us to rule over God's earth. He wanted that. I think in some way he was probably jealous. And so he hates people. And the more destruction he can enforce on people in, in a sick sense, the happier he is. Um, and so there are these spirits, demons, whatever, um, that are out there, but there's a wrong way to think about engaging them. Um, the only reason I know this is because I've talked with people, I've dealt with this, um, and experiences and friends that I had, you know, th there's this, this modern movement almost of where they're praying against territorial spirits and that if we can bind these territorial spirits, then the gospel will have freedom to move, then people... And it's like, one, you see Daniel learning about these beings, but he never prays against them. I mean, his prayers are directed to God for the people of God. It's, he prays based on his, um, the world he lives in. He's not praying for God to bind spirits, to, to bind territories and stuff like that. That's just not, um, that, that's, that's going further than the text. You don't see anyone in scripture doing that. Um, that's, that's an imposition. Somebody has an idea that they think that sounds good. And so, hey, there's these territorial spirits. Let's pray against the, that's, you don't see the Bible doing that. You don't see anyone in scripture doing that. Um, and the other thing when it comes to angels and demons is we want to make sure we don't look for demons where they're not. 
Okay, the Bible is clear that Satan is out there. He prowls around like a roaring lion. Um, he's the God of this world. His demons, his angels are out there as well. Um, but we don't need to look for a demon under every single thing. Because I've heard people talk about there's a demon of bitterness. There's a demon of cussing. There's a, a demon of, of di- and it's like, that's going further than scripture goes as well. Um, could it be, could there be satanic deception? Yes, there could be. Um, do we, do, can you open yourself up to, to unhelpful influences? Yes. But there's not a demon that you got to cast out. I got to cast out that demon of bitterness, that demon. The Bible doesn't talk that way either. And so let scripture give us the boundaries when we talk about angels and demons and spiritual warfare, and let's not try to go outside of that. It's very dangerous to do that. Um, don't get ensnared in the Roman Catholic system with all these extra angels, archangels and names and, and all these levels and, and stuff like you see in Paradise Lost and stuff like that. Like stick to scripture on this, guys. It's, it's very appealing, especially in our science fiction age to want to think about, you know, demon hunting and engaging these spiritual forces don't go there because the Bible doesn't, okay? Um, I, I can't stress that enough. Let Scripture give you the boundaries and don't go outside those boundaries. Um, it's just not healthy, it's not safe, and it's not wise. That, that's really good. I, I've independently seen the same stuff Greg's talking about in my own life experience where people who have tried to name specific demons that someone mm-hmm. has. And, try, and the, the, it's the specificity of it that I think is going beyond the Bible. Demons generally are absolutely present, but trying to find the name of a demon and cast it out in the name of Jesus, like it's moving way beyond uh, a biblically healthy perspective. If you could turn real quick to Ephesians 6 uh, in your New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God passage that uh, Papa Fred was referring to a moment ago. I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing. I just want to read part of it here. And this is how he ends Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And again, this will be something we, Lord willing, talk about more in the fall in this Sunday school class. But um, just to give... A less, it's not less dramatic, but in some sense it seems less dramatic than, say, a Hitler or a Stalin. Just take what's going on with, like, transgender movement in relationship to Disney right now or whatever. I mean, if, you're, if you think that there's nothing demonic behind this, where I, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, I'm reading stories about a 15-year-old girl who, you know, had gender confusion. She goes, she undergoes a drastic set of surgeries over her body. She may never be able to have children again. Now she's 22 years old and she regrets having done it. She is furious at her, at her counselor for recommending to her parents that she should get the surgery. Now she's trying to rebuild her body back to make it feminine again. And she, her, she feels like her life has been wrecked by this. Okay. Is there something demonic behind that worldview? But behind that, where you've got corporations like Disney leaning and go, we, we want to promote this. We, we want to put this in our movies. We want kids to see this. We want kids to think this is normal and good and right. That is the demonic, like behind the flesh and blood is principalities and powers. And, and if you don't think that, I mean, you, you just go read the stories. It, it, is, it is truly uh, harrowing, the kind of stuff that you read about. And th- those are happening all over the place. Don't, you know, if a, if a child talks to his counselor about a particular thing, the counselor is in some places not allowed to tell the parents or grandparents what was told to the counselor. So they keep it in house in the school. So then suddenly the, the, the child is going through this enormous set of confusion, being led in a 
sinful, confused, horrible direction toward, toward destruction, and the parents are left out legally in certain situations. So, I mean, behind the flesh and blood, there are principalities and powers at work trying to hurt people, including children in, in these situations. So we, we do not want to treat these things lightly. Going back to Daniel for our last little bit here. Greg, can you read the rest of the chapter? Where, where did we stop um, on? Was it at 15? Yeah, I'm going to read uh, 15 through the end of the chapter. Uh, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Wow. Mm. You know, this is, um, he, the angel strengthens, I think three times it says he strengthens Daniel. He touches his lips three times, or touches his body three times, uh, which strengthens him. Uh, multiple passages, he said, I was weak, I couldn't, I couldn't, I was face down, I got up on my knees, he strengthened me, and three times he said in, uh, that he's loved, he's greatly loved. And, and he says that in 923, chapter 923, 1011 and 1019, that you're greatly loved. How would, how ref incredible is that? You're praying and suddenly an angel says, you're greatly loved. Wow. I mean, that, that just, that's enough to drive you to your knees. That, mm -hmm. that the humi in humility, which Daniel is of a very humble person, and, and so he, he's, this angel encourages him, he, he lifts him up, he touches him, he tells him he's loved. What a, what a, what a mandate to continue praying and, and to stand up for his God as he has been doing, uh, that he's been heard. The only reason the angel was delayed was because of this conflict. Now he says, I got to go back to that conflict now. Uh, I got to go back to the prince of, fight against the prince of Persia because, uh, uh, Daniel will be under some of these princes now for a few more years. I don't know how long he lived. Uh, and then comes Greece, Alexander the Great. And this is the only book in the Bible, I think, where you cover such a vast amount of, of, of history and these empires. And they're all about fighting. How do you think they, they survived? Because they conquered one another. And no matter how much this Persian empire was, I, I, I looked at my, uh, my map as over 5,000 feet, I'm 5,000 feet, 5,000 miles, miles in, in the diameter and about 2,500 to 3,000 miles in, in, uh, in width. Wow. And, and somebody has always wanted to take a pot shot at you. And, and now, now that we know that there's these heavenly princes 
that are influencing the courtiers that, that, are, that are influencing these kings. Oh, wow. We, we, I understand better why we have so much conflict. Uh, yes, it's because of sin. Yes, it's because of the fall. But yes, it's because we've got this demonic warfare going on in the heavenly places. But the good news is we win. Yeah, um, you know, thinking he talks about the prince of Persia and then the prince of Greece. You know, Persia's still going to be around for a little while when Daniel writes this. Oh, yeah. I mean, Persian Empire lasts, what, 200 plus years? 200 plus years. So, I mean, it, it wasn't a short time span. And this is one of the reasons why liberal scholars want to date the book of Daniel to a lot later than it was actually written because they don't believe that you can know the future and predict it accurately. Um, but I mean, all the evidence points to, external evidence points to the fact that Daniel was written early. Like it's written when we, when he talks about it, that's when he wrote it. I mean, also we know it's from the Lord. Um, but Daniel here is predicting the coming of a future kingdom that's going to overcome the kingdom of Persia. Names it, he names it by name, the kingdom of Greece. Um, so who's going to come after Persia? Greece is. We know that. And we're going to learn more about that um, in, in, in the coming chapters. But so, I mean, one thing here is this is one of the reasons why we take so seriously the inspiration and the inerrancy of Scripture. If Daniel has a late date, like after these things happen, then we, then it's just another human book. I mean, it's seriously, that's all it is. But if it is early and it is written when Daniel says it's written and it is then, then that means this is God's word predicting the future and the future comes to pass exactly the way God says. Our God knows the future. There's nothing that's gonna take him by surprise. He's not gonna be like, ooh, I didn't know about that. You know, gotta rewrite my plans. You know, we talk about like in, um, in war, you know, the best laid plans change after five minutes. That never happens with God. He never has to change his plans. He knows everything, past, present, and future. He comprehends it. He understands it. And all the connections that, that are between every single person and every single event, he gets it all. He sees it all. He knows it all. He understands it all. And he's behind it all, planning it all, directing it all. Um, and that's good news for us. Um, because God is in absolute control of every event and every person, no matter how violent, no matter how severe, no matter how antagonistic, it is all under the sovereign hand and plan of God. And remember that when hard times come, remember that when our own governments become hostile um, and stuff like that, God is at work. He is at work and nothing will frustrate him. Nothing will slow him down. Nothing will stop him. Nothing will hold him back and say, wait a minute, you can't go that far. Well, we are almost at a stopping point here. I want to close by reading a, a brief story. I think I mentioned this before, uh, a book about the New York revival of 1858 uh, called The Power of Prayer. It just has a bunch of little short anecdotes and stories of ways that the Lord answered prayer uh, during this time. And uh, I'm going to see if I can set this up so you can understand what's happening. But So they had these regular daily prayer meetings at lunchtime from noon till one o'clock, and they took off hundreds of people in multiple cities were meeting, then thousands. And they, the Lord was answering prayers, in this case, some dramatic uh, answers to prayer. So here's a, here's a story. Uh, it says, sometimes a long-delayed blessing comes for ourselves while we are laboring for the good of others, as in the following case. So in the middle of this prayer meeting, a written request was handed to the leader of the meeting that prayer might be offered to the throne of grace for the conversion of the son of an aged clergyman. 
So they're praying for the conversion of the son of an older pastor. Well, another man in the room, not connected to that prayer request, volunteered to pray. This guy was, was also an older pastor, and he had been long praying that his own son would be led to see the error of his ways and be brought to the feet of Jesus. So this guy volunteered to pray for the other old pastor with a note. He stands up to pray. Uh, the, th this guy stands up to pray. He rose and made earnest supplication to God uh, that this son of an aged clergyman might be brought to seek redemption through a dying and risen Savior. Now, while this old guy is praying for another old guy and his son, <laughs> while he's praying, his own son, unbeknownst to him, is sitting in the room. This room is packed, and his, his own son who's lost was also in the room that day. So while he's praying for another guy's son, his own son is listening to him pray. Um, his own son, unknown to him, sat in the same room some distance behind him. This son had been walking through the street and seeing a great crowd entering the door of the meeting out of a mere idle curiosity was induced to enter and take a seat. And there he heard his own father praying for the conversion of just such a son and just such a sinner as he himself was. He left the meeting, the son left the meeting uh, in great distress of mind and could not think of sleep, but walked the streets the whole night. Sometimes he would sit down at the steps of a house whose owner he knew was Christian, a uh, Christian pondering what he should do. At length morning came, he returned as a prodigal to his father's house and through God's grace and mercy was enabled to humble himself before God and give up his evil courses and enlist in the service of Christ who suffered on the cross that sinners like him might be saved. That same son of an aged clergyman is now daily employed in persuading sinners such as he lately was to come to Christ. That same son who went into the prayer meeting attracted out of mere, mere idle curiosity is now daily in the prayer meeting ready to take his part in the work and duty of prayer. How changed from the night he walked the streets in agony of mind, now rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That, that's just a wonderful encouragement to us to say we should not give up praying. We need, we need to be faithful like Daniel was to continue praying to God. Can you close us in prayer, Papa Fred? Thank you, Mark. Um, I do want to read verse 12 yeah. here. It says, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you have set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words. Father, uh, that we would be so humble like Daniel or like this aged preacher praying for his son or praying for a family member or praying for this church or praying for some of these issues like um, before the Supreme Court, the, the abortion, the Roe versus Wade reversal perhaps, that we would be diligent, that we would be faithful, that we would be humble and come before you repeatedly not just when we think about it, but be like Daniel. Daniel wasn't perfunctory. He was a prayer warrior. He prayed three times a day, if you remember. That's what got him in trouble before the, the king. Uh, and, and we're not limited to three times a day. We can pray every second of every minute of every hour. If scripture says, pray without ceasing. Let us be, let us come out of this study of, uh, of Daniel with a renewed vigor to come before your throne in earnest prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, hopefully, we will have air conditioning next week. We will plan to be back in the gym, and we've got two more weeks to go, so thank you all for being faithful to come to this. But two more weeks, 11 next week, and then 12 the week after that. Thank you all.